It's Friday night on the Fan Pregame Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Elish and Justin, last ones in the building. Hardest workers of the week. That's us. Raptors and their six-game road trip tonight in Utah. That's up on Sportsnet 1 at 9.30 p.m. tonight. Michael Grange, three-point Grange, will join us in a few minutes to chat that new-look Raptors. And we've been tracking some Pascal Siakam trade rumors all day. They are heating up. Uh, Blue Jays avoided arbitration with 11 players yesterday. Only one player was left without Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is his name. Uh, 19.9 million was his ask, and 18.05 million was the team ask. At 6:30 p.m., we'll chat with Shai Davidi of Sportsnet, of course, on how this affects his Blue Jays' future. NFL Wild Card Weekend preview at the end of the show. Super Wild Card. Super Wild Card. We got lots to go through. Crazy weather going to affect some of these games on Saturday and Sunday. We'll get into all of that. And we're giving away tickets to UFC 297 next Saturday in Toronto during the show today. So you'll have to watch the whole show because we're going to give a code word out. So stay tuned and you'll have to text it in to 59590. Lots to come. And you got to watch all next week because we have a litany of UFC guests mm-hmm. planned. Like, I'm just hearing about some of them now. Uh, we got you covered for UFC 297 next week for sure. All right, Michael Grange on the road. Of course, our Raptors for Sportsnet is joining us. Grange, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I put together my uh, fanciest background for you guys. <laughs> I hope you appreciate it. That looks like hotel room uh, walls. Is Utah's that best room, I think. Hotel room hostage taking. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so it's been a pretty lengthy road trip. Um, the Raptors are on their final sixth game, I believe, of the entire trip. Uh, but before we get into that, Chris Haynes uh, hearing this afternoon, Raptors are on the verge of parting ways with Pascal Siakam. I know it's picking up. I wonder for you what you know uh, on the latest with Pascal and the Raptors, if there is some trade rumors, if you're hearing a buzz around the Utah hotels. Yeah. <laughs> um... You know, I just, it's just been the same. It's been the last uh, couple of weeks or so. Um, you know, there doesn't seem to be any momentum regarding uh, any sort of extension. And there doesn't seem to be um, much reason from, this, you know, Pascal's camp to um, kind of work with the Raptors towards any kind of trade or anything like that. So um, really, it, it's, it just sort of signals that, we're kind of where we've been for a long time, which is the most likely outcome here is is probably a trade. Um, I've spoken to some people in the past few days who, you know, they still hold up the possibility things do change. And, and uh, you know, if, if the Raptors can't get exactly maybe what they think they should be getting in a deal like this and, um, you know, and, and in the trade market, there's no assurances that uh, whoever – you know, is trying to make a trade for Siakam, can keep him and, you know, as a, you know, can reach an extension with him or sign him with their bird rights, then obviously the offers aren't going to be all that robust. And, you know, there's still, you know, the possibility that this whole thing ends up kind of circling back in the summer. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that, the, you know, the, there's not a lot of uh, warm and fuzzy communication going on. I think that there is, um, you know, if I had to bet one or the other, I think it's it's kind of making its way toward its where some kind of change or resolution, um, whether it's in the next couple of days or you know in the next few weeks. Uh, you know, as we've seen with these things, you, they just happen when they happen. And you know, the one thing I have kind of heard consistently from the Raptors' point of view is is you know they don't have a timeline. Their timeline is when you know the best they reach the best decision for them, and that could be tonight. It could be. 
you know, uh, two o'clock on February 8th. We don't know. Yeah, Grange, being steadfast in that is interesting. It's probably the best thing for the organization, but uh, for Pascal Siakam, I'm not sure if it's the best thing. And I give him credit. He's been very professional in all this. But again, I mean, he's trying to play for his next contract. So playing his best basketball is important. And I, I guess you can't separate those two things. But do you think we reached the end of the line on that? Like, can Pascal just continue to just play basketball with all this going around if it gets pushed down the road can can the Raptors afford to do that even though it might be the best thing on paper for them to do well there's all kinds of risks you know as, as you point out I mean um you know I'm not saying Pascal would do this and I'm not saying you know anyone's advocating for him to do this but once it gets to a certain point um you know why would Pascal see why would Pascal play <laughs> you know I'm not mm. saying you know you shut it down or anything, but we've seen things like that. Things happen. And at some point, you know, you, you know, as a player, you need to be fiercely protective of your own interests. And, um, you know, I think it's reached the stage for reasons. I can't frankly tell you exactly why it's reached that stage, but um, the, you know, you're very close to that point where as a, as an athlete, as a, as a professional, you know, he's done his part. Like he's shown, I think that he's a really effective player. Um, he's deserving of a significant contract. You know, is it a full max? Is it some version of a max? Is it a little bit less than a max? I don't know, but it's going to be a lot of money. Um, and he's shown why he, he's, he's worth it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think uh, past a certain point, it's like, well, I need to protect my number one asset, which is my physical being. And so that kind of creates all kinds of problems. And, and I think, you know, if I were to, if one thing were to tip me one way or the other as to why a deal might happen sooner than later, it's, I just think it's, it's become a very, you know, I don't know. I can't say a distraction. The team's played fine and he's mm-hmm. played fine, but it's kind of an obstacle to, you know, a group reaching its full potential and, and kind of moving on to its, you know, its next phase, whatever that might be. And that's no fault of, of anyone's. It's certainly no fault of Pascal's, but it's just a tough situation. Yeah, well, you speak positively about the way the team has looked specifically since this trade. I wonder for you if making this trade and, and acquiring two new faces has made picking a direction easier for the Raptors, because that's something we've talked about for quite a while. Which way is this team going? Uh, do you think that that's alleviated some of the questions in terms of what, sh- that, what the future could look like for the Raptors? I mean, the one thing that, that you know, I, I, I was pretty confident going into this process, let's say go back to Christmas or December 15th, whenever those kind of, those little points in the NBA calendar kind of come around and, and you know, that the Raptors weren't going to go into this, that two-month phase between then and the trade deadline, wondering what they were going to do. They were going to have a direction pick. Um, they kept it pretty close to the vest, as you would expect. But I think when they made the move, uh, with OG and you saw the kind of assets they were seeking in return that it was pretty clear that they want to, A, they don't want to waste uh, another year of Scotty Barnes by taking a big step back or another multiple years of Scotty Barnes. So they want to build a team around him that can grow with him. And so I think when you look at um, Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett, they're guys who are roughly the same age group, roughly the same peer group um, who have complementary skills that, you know, that's right now you've got three-fifths of the starting lineup that, if everything goes right, should be uh, in your organizations for, your organization for six, seven, eight, nine years. Um, and so that, to me, sort of suggests what their strategy is. And, you know, there was 
it, to me, it doesn't necessarily it didn't necessarily preclude Pascal Siakam uh, being part of it because he's still a relatively young player in in terms of his prime. But I, I think if you are going to make a move, it's clear what you would like that move to be. In other words, you're not going to let's get you know three picks and two pick swaps and whatever crappy contracts match the money. It's it's going to be you know a real player, hopefully a real prospect, maybe a future pick. And um, and we'll go from there. But as has been pointed out by me and other people, um, when you have a pending free agent, and this is where I think, depending on how well this shakes out, um, you know, it's going to be a real point of discussion from, you know, did the organization handle this whole process correctly? Because, you know, if they end up with the kind of return that um, you saw with OG Ananobi, um, and and the like, and to you, as you point out, Ailish, like, it's a, it's a good fit on the floor. I would say observationally, it looks like a great fit off the floor. People seem really excited and, and happy to be in their roles and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if you're not going to kind of mimic that with, you know, again, a really good player that, you know, is going to be successful in this league, either here or somewhere in the next couple of years, um, then, you know, that's how you're going to measure the decisions that have been made in the last six or 12 months. Yeah, it definitely seems to make the needle a little harder to thread, right? Because you're going to try to get something pretty specific now. And if we're talking specifics and we're talking about complementary pieces to continue uh, to build around Scotty Barnes, like what is the complementary piece that they would like to see back or you believe they'd like to see back in return? We don't. It doesn't have to be a name thing. It's just like what role is still needed to be filled if we're talking about building uh, a, a an insulating Scotty Barnes as he tries to rise to superstardom and therefore lift uh, all the boats with the rising tide? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, I'd say, you know, the obvious one is is a, bit, a versatile big, um, a big that can, uh, you know, one of those magical players, right, <laughs> that everyone seems to want, but who can, you know, kind of spread the floor and, and keep things moving offensively and who can kind of uh, protect you defensively um, against either traditional bigs or, or, you know, your likewise, your counterpart. So, you know, bam out of bio, I guess is what we're looking for. <laughs> but, um, you know, those ones, those guys are hard to come by, but I mean, if you look at the way the roster is constructed and Scotty's kind of a do everything player, I think Emmanuel quickly can play is a perfect fit because he can play on or off the ball with a player like Scotty. Um, you know, we'll see where RJ Barrett goes. I mean, obviously he's trending positively and it looks like he could be really a nice fit in the, in the kind of offensive, um, structure that Darko Rakovic is, is putting together. So, um, as we're going to see tonight, you know, with the Raptors short, Jakob Pertl, they're very thin, um, in terms of bigs. And, uh, so I think if you're going to go out to the market or if you're casting ahead, what would this roster, you know, what could make it make a big jump? I think a quality big and, you know, is there, you know, a young, uh, big out there that you could acquire in a trade. And I think you'd still always be looking for, you know, you know, quality depth and quality shooting. Those three things in any kind of combination, uh, are always going to be welcome for a team that's, that's trying to get better. Uh, let's take a second to talk about what they did bring in. Uh, you mentioned it with IQ and RJ. Let's start with IQ who you wrote about on sportsnet.ca. Uh, and his uh, relationship with Steph Curry, uh, they might be loose parallels, but you allude to some parallels. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Steph Curry is Emmanuel Quickly's favorite player, <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and you know, when 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 Quick, as uh, he says, just call me Quick. Okay, uh, you know, when he was a young guy coming up, that's if you look at you 
dial it back 10 years. And that's exactly when Steph Curry was exploding. And, you know, as, as Quick said to me, he says, look, uh, you know, uh, for a guy like me, 6'3", 190, to see a guy like him, basically the exact same size, dominate games and become one of the best players in the world, that was really inspiring. And I think, you know, as we've seen in the last couple of years, especially, it's just been this accelerating trend where um, it's like, there's a whole bunch of stuff 2.0s or 3.0s out there where, you know, you look at Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, um, Darren Fox, um, you know, you, you kind of keep going down the list. And, and there is these guys who maybe a decade ago, two decades ago, wouldn't have been automatic fits as, as all NBA type guards. But, you know, now with the way the game is called, the way the, the way it's played and what's emphasized, they're almost prerequisites. And the Raptors had obviously they've had guards who could really shoot it, but to have a guy like Quickly who has you know A plus range is just as good creating uh, deep three point three point looks off the dribble, but also can be used in any kind of actions off the ball whether he gets it or not. Like I last Steph Curry, that's kind of what his magic is. Is even when he doesn't have the ball, he bends the defense so much he creates for everybody else. Um, and then, you know, has the, the, the burst to kind of beat that defense as it keeps having to come out further and further on the floor to uh, take away your primary weapon. It just opens up a whole, you know, world of offense. And, and, you know, we've seen that become almost like a standard in the NBA the last two, three years. And so, um, you know, in Emmanuel quickly, you have a guy and again, you're not going to put him and Steph Curry in the same sentence. It's a big, big leap. <laughs> But, you know, they they do, you know, when, when Emmanuel was in New York, there was a assistant coach who had come over from the Warriors. He put the two of them in touch, Curry and and quickly, and they were, you know, they, they stuck up a bit of a relationship. And, and you know, it's kind of it's kind of what you see, you, you know, if you see it, you can be it. And I think, um, you know, for the Raptors to have a guy like quickly uh, with the ball in his hands who, you know, I'm not, again, we're not saying he is Steph Curry, but he's a 41% three-point shooter on high volume and a lot of self-created shots. And, you know, it really, as we've seen, is creates a lot of options for you offensively. And I think, you know, they're really just scratching the surface with it. Talking to Michael Grange ahead of the Toronto Raptors, uh, wrapping up their six-game road trip in Utah tonight, Sportsnet 1 at 9.30 p.m. You can catch it there. Um, R.J. Barrett has been a really welcome homecoming, um, I think, for both sides. What does this fresh start um, have an opportunity for for R.J., and how does he embody being a Toronto Raptor? Uh, great question, and I think the number one thing is he embraces it, and you know, not just because uh, you know they're giving him minutes or you know it's the team he's on now, but because you know, he's legitimately, it's about coming home and, 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 you know, he's got, he puts a Jersey on that means a little bit more to him than other NBA players. And I, and I think, um, you know, I think that's, that's important. And he would, he would definitely say that. I think um, probably what's more important though, in a practical sense is he's gone from uh, an offense where he's very much a tertiary person, tertiary part of it. It really was kind of, a little bit traditional in the sense that it was two guys in Randall and, um, and uh, sorry, I'm blanking on the next point card, uh, but it was uh, Brunson. Thank you. But, you know, two guys that were, you know, they were option one, a one B one C one D one. I mean, that was, it was them and then everybody else. And that doesn't really suit RJ's game. Like, you know, he's, he's a guy who can be pretty effective with the ball in his hands. I think he's, He's got a high IQ. I think he's good, a good cutter. I think he's good off the ball. And what's really been evident to me in just what six games now is 
he's really thriving in doing what you know the Raptors have been doing and what uh, Rakovic wants, which is you know just have the ball in your hands real quick. You don't got to catch it, hold it, stare, and and go. It's it's like catch it, and if there's something there, go. If there's not something there, move it, and then cut again. And and he's really looked really comfortable in that. And I think um, the way the Raptors play in transition has allowed him to get a lot of early looks. And I think, you know, with the way the ball comes in and out of, you know, you can't really have two more different, very good players than than Randall and Scotty Barnes, right? Like they are, they do share some qualities, but, you know, you know, Scotty Barnes just gets off the ball man, and, and, and he's, and I think for RJ, it's been really refreshing. I think he's seen a lot of open looks and, you know, and I think people, there's a lot of question marks about his shooting and, you know, and I've always been, a, you know, a little bit of a, a defender on that point, because when you look at RJ, you know, through his career, he's on the whole, he hasn't shot great, but there has been probably, probably, I think I looked it up once. There's like, he's played like 23 months of NBA basketball and like 10 of those months, he, he mm-hmm. shot 38% or better from three. Like he's had long stretches where he shot the ball better. And, you know, and if you look at the way he's shooting free throws right now, it's the best in his career. He has changed how he does it. I think early in the career, in, in the season, it was kind of beginning to take hold in how he shot threes, and then he kind of slumped back. But I think right now you're seeing, uh, you know, the result of a lot of mechanical, technical work on his shot. And no, he's not going to shoot 55% from three or whatever he is the last six games. But, you know, I think it's reasonable for him based on the fact he has been at times in his career an above-average three-point shooter. And I think the fact that he has put a lot of time in his shooting, I think the fact that his uh, free-flow shooting is verging on elite right now, um, I think, you know, it's reasonable to think that he can become an above-average three-point shooter. And when you add that into the other qualities he has, you know, he becomes a pretty good player for you. And, and uh, you know, and you add in, as you were saying, I the kind of, I think, the passion he has to play here. I think those are all really positive qualities. Yeah, his three-point percentage since joining the Raptors is second best in the NBA, 53.6%. A small sample size, but pretty damn good. Uh, Last one for you, Grange, before you let you go. Tuesday night, eh, pretty quiet, media scrum, nothing uh, to note against that Lakers team. (laughs) Holy smokes, Darko Ryakovic became uh, a a global phenom after that one. I wonder for you if that was like the night that he really became the Raptors head coach where he he put himself out there and said, this is my team, these are my guys, and I'm going to take a $25,000 fine because uh, they deserve to have someone stand up for them. Well, I think think it was – it put him on the map in the way that if you're just a casual NBA fan, I would even see a lot of NBA media, like they, you know, they just don't know the guy haven't had a chance to, and the way the Raptors have been playing have had no reason to really. But, um, you know, so I think it made people take notice. I think internally it was not that surprising in the sense of uh, one thing that Darko's done and, and that was his reputation coming in. I've certainly experienced it in my own small way interpersonally. And, but I have, taking note of it, you know, watching, paying attention to how he does interact with his players and people on staff is, you know, he really is a caring person. And he, um, you know, there's that expression, you know, nobody for coaching, right? It doesn't, they don't care how much you know until they know you care. Mm. And I don't think even before that, there was no one on that team who could dispute how much Darko cared about them as as people and as players and and professionally. And, 
Um, but I think what that that did was it was a big, loud uh, tell-all to mm-hmm. people about, you know, the level of care he has for his guys. And certainly, you know, every guy in that organization, um, every player in that room really appreciated it, respected it. And, and uh, you know, the, I think it, it came from the heart, too. Like, it wasn't like he was going, well, this is, you know, I'm going to take a tea here. It was, <laughs> uh, you know, it was... Um, you know, it was something he he felt strongly and, and let it fly. And, and uh, you know, I don't think the players were surprised. You know, I mm-hmm. think they know that, that he uh, he has their back. Yeah, I think it was well worth the 25K. I, I've enjoyed listening to it many, many times over uh, on our station, at least. And I'm sure we ah. won't be the last that we hear of it. <laughs> that was a pretty good impression. You probably heard it a few <laughs> times yourself. Uh, we'll let you go, Grange. Uh, enjoy the rest of the West Coast trip and uh, safe travels home. All right, guys, have a good weekend. Thanks so much. Uh, Michael Grange, of course, of Sportsnet here. Uh, yeah, lots of Siakam rumors and things percolating, but hopefully we get through this game. Maybe we see him again in a Raptors jersey, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be lengthy. I'd love to be in a position one day where accepting a $25,000 fine was, was, worth it. was like a good thing, <laughs> was worth it, was was yeah. was, uh, was uh, accepted and generally applauded like it was with Darko mm-hmm. Ryakovich. Uh, before we shift to our next thing, just want to say, we're talking Raptors. Wanted to say, you know, congrats and farewell to our colleague, Alex Wong, mm. of the Raptors show. I know if you were listening the last couple hours, <laughs> he got a lot of love on our station. But we both know Alex from a former professional life, the two of us, before we came to SportsCenter. So we're lucky to have worked with him in two different places. But, you know, he just brings a lot of joy and love. And, uh, it, yeah, he's really talented at what he does. We're going to miss him here, but um, shouts to Alex. That's yeah, shouts to say. Alex for sure. Uh, <laughs> and and shout out to him extra one for playing Fireflies. He was right. It is a it is a very popular white joint, as he put it. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's one for uh, you and I to uh, yeah. uh, celebrate as well. Uh, yeah. So you know you can follow Alex on all of his socials because he'll always be putting out good stuff. But we'll miss you here, buddy. So I know he's probably not watching this, but it means a lot. For he's us. celebrating. Yeah. He's somewhere. celebrating somewhere else. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll give you something to celebrate. How about that? We have an exciting announcement for UFC fans. The UFC is back on Sportsnet, making their return to Toronto on Saturday, January 20th at Scotiabank Arena. With UFC 297, headlined by Sean Strickland versus Dracus Duplessis for the UFC Middleweight Championship. To celebrate, we're giving tickets away today. And we're also getting to go, Justin and I. Yay! Uh, to enter, all you have to do is listen for the code word, then text the code word to 59590. Today's code word is UFC. Pretty simple. Text UFC to 59590 to enter for your chance to win a pair of tickets to this event. If you don't win with us, make sure you go to Ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. Woo! Yeah, if there was ever a time to use that opportunity to text in uh, in pursuit of tickets, I think it's this one because that will be definitely a valuable one. Two title fights. One, as you mentioned, also the bantamweight title mm-hmm. in the women's division. Raquel Pennington, Myra Bueno Silva fighting in the co-main event. Nine Canadians, including Mike Malott, will be there. So that's added incentive. You can but find us. <laughs> there's a tasty little appetizer this weekend on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Plus. Rematch of a light heavyweight contenders match in the main event. Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker, both the made weight today. So they're ready to go. And I'll throw in one pick today uh, because... You know, we usually get I picks on that. the show. Jim Miller is extending his record with his 43rd walk to the cage this weekend. I will parlay him with Ankalaev, minus 105. They're not going to set up the legend to go out, you know, potentially <laughs> with a loss. I like Miller, and I like the heavy favorite in the main event. He parlay those together, and it's pretty much even money.
And we're going to have lots of UFC talk and lots of UFC guests on the show next week. Uh, so hopefully you get an opportunity to head down to Scotiabank Arena next Saturday for UFC 297. We are lucky to be there. It's my first experience. It's not yours, but I can't wait to go through it all. Um, and we'll tee it up all next week. But on the other side of the break, we're going to talk to Shai Davidi. We talked about it just in the open there that uh, 11 Blue Jays had settled without having to go to arbitration, and only one Blue Jay did not, and that was Vladimir Guerrero Jr., a pretty important player. Uh, they're about a million, uh, 1.9 million away from each other in terms of their uh, value ask. We'll talk about this and what it might mean for his future and what the Blue Jays are doing because a familiar face just signed with the Yankees yesterday as well. So stay tuned. Shai Davidi after the break on the fan pregame. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, final 30 minutes of the Fan pregame, but not of our... Weekend, we got two Leafs games to cover this weekend, both on Sportsnet 590 The Fan tomorrow night and also Sunday night, both during lots of football. So we will be Rogers igniting it up, baby. Lots of split yeah, screening happening at Scotiabank. A busy, busy <laughs> Leafs weekend uh, on Super Wildcard Weekend. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that just doesn't feel it right. It doesn't feel right. But, but... We'll, we'll still have the same enthusiasm and energy and all that stuff as we continue in the 6 p.m. hour mm-hmm. all the way through the weekend. We will. Uh, we're going to get Shai Davidi in a couple minutes here uh, to talk about some Blue Jays news. We were just mentioning Marcus Stroman before the break uh, signed a deal with the Yankees, and that is going to be... How do you feel about that? I can just picture him becoming ultimate villain for the Toronto Blue Jays. I just picture him in the pinstripes. He's on the mound. He gets a strikeout. He's at Rogers Center, and, and he's just going to... He will not hold back. The, I think it'll be fun, though. Yeah, it'll be fun I, it'll to go against Marcus Stroman. I mean, it's going to be good for content. It's going to be good for Shai Davidi to write about uh, mm-hmm. the Stroman appearances, of course. But, like, something about Stroman is I, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like there's, like, a lesser than or whatever because I think I think he wanted to be here. I think, he, the, he has, well, I think the soft spot is genuine. I, I think it's real. I don't think we have to feel, like, particularly aggrieved by it and, and not certainly not just because he went to the New York Yankees. In fact, I think it just adds another layer to a, a fun rivalry and what will be fun storylines and games across the season all right shy davidi joins us now of course sportsnet mlb columnist and the bob elliott recognition award for 2023 just star studded shy davidi how's it going shy i'm all right how are you guys <laughs> we're good uh happy friday night appreciate you jumping on for a little bit with us of course i got some blue jays news over the last 24 hours um but i, I think it's fair to start with like a broader question like if you could describe the relationship between Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the Blue Jays, obviously with the understanding that he was the only player to not reach um, uh, an agreement and will be going to arbitration uh, on their future uh, uh, deal here. Well, I would say right now, it's like, let's see where this goes and how this plays out. Because this entire process can create a lot of ill feelings. And it's not just, I think there tends to be a lot of focus on the hearing right? And what gets said at the hearing. But it's also a lot of what happens beforehand, because arbitration, it's its a really hard thing to wrap your mind around, because it's really based on comparisons. And it's just not, not just sort of comparisons 
about, uh, you know, by position or by age, but specifically to players at the same type of service time points, right? So for the, the type of players that you end up comparing your your player to uh, that could be taken as a compliment could be taken as an insult and the way you try to frame their salary in around that can create some bad feelings and so it's the the potential for damage to a relationship begins before the arbitration process during the negotiation but in terms of the type of comps that uh, a club is using versus the ones a player is is pushing forward and then it can spill into the hearing room where each side tries to win and tries to argue the correctness of their position. Uh, uh, in your experience, you cover these shy, and I guess every case is different. But in this case, it's, yeah, they're kind of quibbling over the, the space of $2 million and he's guaranteed to make a lot of money this upcoming season. I, I wonder, and again, probably not a blanket thing here, but... If it's easier when a lot of money's at stake and it's just a couple million dollars, that's the difference, or it's kind of on the lower end, right? Because we saw these lower end ones get done, and and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is obviously the one that didn't get done. But in your experience, does money matter when it comes to ARB in terms of how inflammatory it might be? Well, you know, the, the last time the Blue Jays went to arbitration was 2019 with Ryan Tapera. And, you know, his, I can't remember the exact numbers. I believe his, uh, the offer, the Blue Jays offer was about 1.5 mil and his ask was around 1.8. The Blue Jays ended up winning the case and he came out of the hearing. It was like, I just can't believe what I just heard about me and really did not enjoy the process. So uh, it's the, Obviously, the stakes grow with the amount of money. And, you know, I think relative to scale, everybody would be like, I would love to lose a case and, and get $18 million versus, you know, even if I don't end up getting, you know, 19.9, like I'm asking. The thing is, the, the other piece to is the and why every dollar is so important in arbitration is that what you earn one year helps you platform into your salary the next year. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will be uh, eligible for arbitration again after the 2024 season, his final year of arbitration before uh, free agency. And the the difference in $2 million, or roughly $2 million, between the Blue Jays' offer and Guerrero ask, I mean, that's uh, that sets the stage for what he will earn in 2025 as well. So that's why the sides fight so bitterly over every dollar. And, and, you know, just for people who may not be familiar with the process, it's not like the arbitrator can look at the numbers and say, Oh, I think you land right in the middle. Mm -hmm. The, the arbitrator must pick one or the other. And that's designed to try and get teams to teams and players to reach agreement. But sometimes, you get stuck on the correctness of your position. And that's what appears to have happened with both sides here. Uh, and it's off to a hearing room and go. Uh, Jorge Soler's name was, uh, uh, you know, I guess traveling the social media realm uh, this week. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard anything about his potential destination or any other bats that might be in play, but your latest understanding of what the Blue Jays have been up to other than, you know, getting these arbitration meetings done and hopefully coming to an agreement with Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Yeah, well, this, this this is a big week for arbitration where a lot of the focus gets there. But 
you know, the the way I understand it, and that this, of course, could change, but it really does seem like the Blue Jays are waiting out the market a little bit and seeing where the different dominoes go and whether some of the prices go down. And, you know, Scott Boris is in just to some degree in control of the market right now with uh, a slate of, of free agents, uh, a couple of which make sense for the Blue Jays being, you know, Matt Chapman potentially on, on a return, uh, someone like uh, J.D. Martinez or Reese Hoskins in, in a DH type of role. But he's got some bigger pieces that he's got to find homes for first. So uh, until you know, the, the Blake Snells, uh, Jordan Montgomery, and Cody Ballinger mm-hmm. deals probably get done, we may see a bit more stasis. And the Blue Jays and have their pick of bats who are all kind of similarly appealing, but a little flawed. You could throw out Jock Peterson's definitely someone they've got some interest in. Uh, you can throw Justin Turner into that mix. They have some interest in him as well. Uh, Solaire, you, you want to try to hit the right guy, but I don't know that there's a ton of separation that you say, that's the guy I have to get. I think they could get any one of those guys and it could work out well. It could work out, not so well and uh, not necessarily equal, but in relatively similar, similar degrees. And so I can see them waiting out the market a little bit, seeing what happens and seeing where their money ends up going the furthest. Do you think the Blue Jays are in on Joey Votto at all? I know when this originally started a couple months ago, there was like excitement around, you know, obviously his connection with the city and the country. And I've seen lately that he he tweeted out, you know, four teams might be interested in me. And he's playing it up a little bit. But I know that there's obviously been maybe discussions in the past. But I wonder for you if, if right now that's something that they're considering or should be considering. Yeah, in classic Joey Votto fashion, you see, he said one of those teams were the Care Bears. Yeah. <laughs> volunteering to be Grumpy Bear, which is yeah. uh, exactly his style. Um, I, I would say that uh, the Blue Jays have at least checked in and, and sort of kept in touch there. I, th- I kind of think that Joey Votto kind of becomes part of what they do elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? So if, let's say, they get you know, uh, J.D. Martinez or uh, Justin Turner or something like that. And then they have a little bit of space for a left-handed bat to come in and, you know, take a couple hundred plate appearances or something along those lines uh, from the left side against certain lineups uh, and come off the bench. I can see that maybe making a little bit more sense. I don't, I don't see the Blue Jays right now wanting to give them 600 plate appearances. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think that right, that right now is, sort of plan a for them uh but uh, you know like they're i think they want to add or i think they're, they're, they're going to add at least one bat i think there's a scenario where they could add two bats and if maybe the more primary bat is another right-handed hitter uh there's certainly you could see uh, a pathway to uh, a reasonable number of plate appearances for for joey Votto. and and at that point i think it becomes a, a little bit more of a cleaner fit yeah, Ross Atkins did say, I don't think we'll add three players. I think most likely it's closer to one. So maybe two, <laughs> maybe meet in the middle. Uh, we will see. Yeah, we're talking to Shai Davidi, of course, of Sportsnet. Uh, so news today, Jordan Hicks uh, signs a four-year contract with the Giants. It sounds like he wants to transition into becoming a starter. Uh, I wonder for you if the Blue Jays were, were interested in Jordan Hicks or because of his aspirations uh, to become a starter that it just wasn't in the, in the cards for them. 
Yeah, it didn't really seem like uh, that once he was here, if he had those aspirations, I don't know if the Blue Jays would have the kind of runway to give him in that kind of transition in the starter role. Whereas, you know, the San Francisco Giants were built last year on openers and piggyback starters, and they didn't really have uh, a rotation of, uh, of dudes who are pitching 180-ish types of innings the way the Blue Jays did. So, that to, to carry someone like that, you've got to set up your, your bullpen in a certain way and have the, the long reliever type and the Blue Jays more have uh, a lot of one, one, one plus guys who are effective uh, in late game leverage situations, not really the type of lengthy relievers you need. So I'm not sure that was uh, a match there. And with Jordan Hicks, you know, wanting to at least the chance to get stretched out and, and pitch in a more of a bulk role, uh, didn't seem like it was going to be a fit with the Blue Jays. Uh, the Blue Jays did announce the staff for 2024. Uh, Matt Hag officially coming up, or Hag officially coming up. John Lannon, a former MLB pitcher, uh, comes up as a mental performance coach, which I guess leads us to the question or the idea that support from within can inspire the meaningful improvement uh, that Ross Atkins was talking about in his latest session, I believe it was, uh, with the media. That bet, Shy, that, yeah, if we just do a better job insulating, we can reach our goals like, what do you make of that generally? Well, the way this offseason has played out, that has become, in a sense, the, the biggest lever the Blue Jays can pull in terms of trying to, to get better, right? If you get something akin to 2021 Vladdy and something uh, akin to 2022 Alejandro Kirk and 2022 Alec Manoa and you get 2022 Dalton Varsho, then all of a sudden your team is looking a lot different than it did the way it finished last season. And so you know, George Springer also didn't have the, the best season or his best season. And, and so getting him at his most effective is uh, key as well. And, and the Blue Jays, when they did some of their post-mortem and, you know, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins spent time immediately after the season talking with, uh, a number of players on the club trying to understand what went wrong, what are some of the things that didn't work, and they've they're revamping their entire pregame process uh, around hitting. And Don Manigley is going to lead it. Uh, Guillermo Martinez and uh, is going to be part of that with Matt Haig, uh, along with Hunter Mentz, who also returns. So you've got a bit of a different group there, and Matt Haig drew raves from the players of Buffalo for his work with them and the way that he was able to distill information to them and uh, help them understand what they might be doing on a given day. So uh, adding him will only be a strength. And, you know, in terms of uh, John Lennon, I mean, he's been in the organization. He uh, has helped a lot of players in the minor leagues uh, on their way up. So he is probably going to encounter some players that he's worked with in the past and he replaces Jimmy Van Ostrand, who was in that role, um, who left for personal reasons. And so, you know, if that group comes together and is able to more effectively get help players perform at their best, then the Blue Jays are going to be better. They, they still need to add more to help their offense because they, they are a little bit thin right now. 
and I don't expect this is be, will be where they end up on opening day. Uh, but making sure you're getting the most of everything you have uh, will in some ways perhaps be the biggest change that you can make and maybe the biggest improvement that they can make this season. We got one last one for you, Shai. Uh, Marcus Stroman, we were just discussing before we brought you on, uh, headed to the Yankees two-year deal. Uh, it'll be interesting because I think he has ultimate villain potential for the Toronto Blue Jays, but I also think it'll be fun for you guys to get to write stories and get to create content because he's back in the AL East. Uh, I wonder your thoughts on him wearing the pinstripes. Yeah, really interesting and, and you know, good for good for Marcus. They, as a New York guy, that's going to be a situation that he really enjoys. I know he enjoyed his time with the Mets, and uh, and when he initially got uh, got traded to the Mets, uh, part of his hopes uh, had been that he would end up with the Yankees then. So he comes back to, to the Yankees now and gets a shot. And uh, look for for the Yankees, he's going to provide stable innings and uh, quality innings, and he's going to be he's going to really help stabilize a, a, a rotate group in the rotation that that needed somebody like him the the yankees uh, like the blue jays haven't hit on everything they've wanted to accomplish you know yes they did get soto but they were all in on yamamoto it seemed like he was central to their pitching plans that didn't work out uh, they haven't gotten one of the other big starters in snell and montgomery and so so here we are with Marcus Stroman uh, ending up back in the American League East. And, uh, you know, there, there could be some villain potential there, but I, I do think a lot of Blue Jays fans will have a soft spot uh, for Marcus Stroman for what he did at the end of the 2015 and 2016 seasons. And, uh, you know, this being somebody who was always so passionate about Toronto, uh, it's hard for, for guys like that, I think, to become full bore villains. Uh, but, you know, in games that count, uh, I don't think he'll maybe get the, the, the lovey dovey welcome he might otherwise <laughs> if the stakes weren't quite as high. Uh, yeah, it'll be a fun uh, welcome back to the Rogers Center, I'm sure, sometime uh, in the next couple months. Uh, if spring training's around the corner and the start of the Blue Jays season uh, isn't too far. Well, Shy, we appreciate your time tonight. Have a great weekend, and we'll definitely chat soon. Yeah, no, have a good weekend as well, guys. Take care. Thanks so much. Uh, Shy Davidi, of course, with Sportsnet and the 2023 Bob Elliott Recognition Award. We don't have any awards, but we do have Super Wildcard Weekend to talk about. Uh, we promised it at the end of the show. We're going to rip through uh, the big games, obviously, this weekend. It's going to be fun. There's a lot of weather concerns, though. Uh, we're going to get into all that. So let's just go back and forth, tee up some of the games, and, you know, what is at stake? Yeah, who needs awards when you have Super Wildcard Weekend? You're right. <laughs> let's start with two games on Saturday. The first one, which is just where the Texans belong when they play in the playoffs. They like always first game Saturday <laughs> afternoon. It's like a rule, but it stands uh, and it is gospel. The Browns visit the Texans. The Browns are favorites minus two and a half. The over under is 44 and a half. This is truly like new versus old mm-hmm. type of game and experience versus experience. You got CJ Stroud and Joe Flacco. You got maybe the rookie of the year, at least on the offensive side versus the Super Bowl MVP from like what? 12 years ago, yep. it seems now. Uh, 17 postseason starts versus zero. And usually, if we're talking stats that are important in the playoffs, this might be the one that is most consequential. History would say that first-time starters in the playoffs always go through their lumps. They always have a difficult time when you're, especially on the other side, when there's 17 postseason starts for Joe Flacco. It's also a battle of the coach of the year candidates. One rookie, one not, one who already won that award, uh, the Browns did beat them handily in the regular season, but Stroud was out with a concussion. 
I love the Browns in this game. It's probably my favorite bet of the weekend is the Browns. All they have to do basically is win. Uh, covering uh, two and a half field goal will do it. So I love the Browns. I think the Texans had a great season getting to this point. Very impressive. But I think the Browns are just way, way ahead at this point. And I think it's going to pay off with a pretty clean victory. Okay, Dolphins and Chiefs uh, nighttime game. That one is absolutely insane because it's possibly going to be one of the coldest NFL games ever recorded. Minus Fahrenheit temperatures projected. Sounds like the South Florida team will be comfortable. Yeah, I'm sure they'll love it. Uh, tickets are plummeting for resale, like 30 bucks to go to the game. Uh, if you Would so- you go? No. Uh, the Dolphins, obviously not, not really a comfortable with this one they've lost 10 straight games when the kickoff temperature is 40 degrees or lower lower Tua is <laughs> oh and four that was it that was interesting Tua is oh and four in those games themselves obviously the cheeks chiefs lock, locked up the afc west prior to week 18 they rested mahomes and kelsey mahomes you know is nine and two in playoff games at home Tua is making his postseason debut Tyreek Hill revenge game. There's a lot of narratives going into this, but the weather itself is going to make this. Uh, it I think it's just Mahomes all over it. You know, Tua's just came out and said he's not wearing gloves. Like it's in their head already. Uh, oddly, though, like if the Dolphins just ran Raheem Mostert, Devin Shane, I feel like they would do pretty well if they just did that. And if it's that bad out, maybe the run game is the most important thing. But who knows if the Dolphins will follow the script that seems like the one they should. Another weather game Sunday uh, oh to start goodness. things off, 1 p.m. The Steelers visit the Bills. Uh, Bills, nine and a half favorites. Used to be 10 or was 10 before, uh, but it's come down just a little bit. And, and I and it's the reason is, is the weather. Like if this is just not a football game because there's a typhoon uh, in minus weather going through Buffalo – then it's it's going to be pretty difficult to do the things that the Bills would do mm-hmm. to have a pretty distinct van, advantage over the Steelers. Steelers, like negative point differential, despite a 10-7 and seven record, they don't have T.J. Watt. They got Mason Rudolph starting. This should be Bills, Bills, Bills. Mm-hmm. But again, if it's just weather complicating matters and the Bills' DNA, well, they make mistakes. I don't know. Maybe the Steelers could hang around. I wouldn't bet the Bills at this point because of the weather thing. But I think the Bills probably will prevail in the end. Yeah, the uh, Buffalo Bills community uh, that run that stadium are looking for people to come shovel snow before the game, so you know it's going to be. They're like actually giving you money to come and which is like unanimous. If they if there's like the bat signal to help the the Buffalo Bills, it's a unanimous approval. Let's go. Let's do it. Um, Okay, so Packers and Cowboys, uh, 4.30 p.m. I mean, the storied playoff rivalry between these two makes this an amazing matchup. Obviously, Mike McCarthy, Cowboys head coach, facing his former team, the one he led to a Super Bowl championship in his current home stadium in 2011. But the Packers turned their season around. They've kind of won everybody's hearts. Like, I think they're one of the teams you don't want to face right now. Jordan Love, of course, being part of that. Youngest roster in the league, though. So does that show in the postseason? Cowboys have 17 straight home wins the last time they lost at home was week one last season versus the bucks it's too bad um, they can't win on the road and that's it so they're notorious playoff chokers as well i think they have a lot to prove a uh, big opportunity at home versus a team with really nothing to lose important for them to have a big victory kind of show the world they aren't the same cowboys i'm excited for that one my favorite game of the weekend is 8 15 on sunday night mm. rightfully slotted at least in my opinion the rams visit the lions lions are three point favorites was three and a half a little bit earlier in the week. So some money coming in on the Rams. And this one's like, a, a cold weather games are going to be affected in terms of atmosphere. This one will not. First home playoff game in over three decades in Detroit. Matthew Stafford's return to Detroit. 
Jared Goff revenge Did you see his spot. Video? These two teams traded quarterbacks. Now they square off at each other. I have not. It's an eight-minute-long tribute video to Detroit. Uh, Stafford's? Yeah. I'm going to have to oh, look it's that good. up. Two up-and-coming teams, and I think only one of them, though, was supposed to be here, and I think that was the Lions. The Rams on a 7-1 mm-hmm. and one run right now, though. It's about youth and then, like, semi-youth, and I kind of think the Rams' youth might just take over. The youth-youth might be more powerful. <laughs> the guys Matthew Stafford apparently couldn't connect with. Uh, Nakua Cup, Kyron Williams, I-, I like the Rams here to cover, maybe win. Okay, final one, which is the one I'm least interested in. <laughs> Eagles and yeah, Bucks Monday night. Tough. Uh, what is going on with the Eagles? Of course, one and five at the end of the season after starting 10 and one. Sirianni could be in trouble if they don't make noise in the postseason, maybe. Lots of pressure on the Eagles. I mean, the Bucks are maybe the least inspiring team to make the playoffs. But they're riding a 5 1 stretch into the playoffs. Uh, nothing to prove, really. That's what kind of worries me. A team with so much to prove and a team with really nothing to prove. And then just a blast from the past. Imagine if I told you in week one that the Eagles would be on the road in Tampa for the playoffs and the line would be minus three. Yeah, uh, I'd be betting. Yeah, it'd be three. crazy. And I still probably will bet the minus three. I think it might be a good buy low spot on the Eagles. Like, I don't think the Eagles are going to amount to anything. In fact, I think they're going to be right for the picking next time. But I do think they're still better than the Buccaneers. Maybe they're only three points better, mm-hmm. but I, I do believe they're better. But this is like two banged up quarterbacks on a standalone a game fest. to close the best oh. weekend of the playoffs. Like, it is kind of a downer, but maybe Jalen Hurts and the Eagles will surprise us. We got two Leafs games this weekend as well. The Avs in town to play the Maple Leafs tomorrow night. Of course, we're on that one. Sports on 590 The Fan. Of course, you can catch us at 6 p.m. for an hour-long pregame show. It's going to be a fun one. And then we're back at Scotiabank Arena the next night. Play the Detroit uh, Red Wings as well. So we'll be streaming. We'll be watching lots of Leafs, lots of football, and some Raptors tonight. And we'll be wondering if we see Ilya Samsonov, I suppose, this weekend. We'll talk about that tomorrow at 6 p.m. Anyway, everyone, have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.